Welcome to Orphans No More, a media extension of Justice for Orphans, a ministry dedicated to rally the church for the cause of the fatherless, inspiring, educating, and equipping believers to care for vulnerable children, and supporting those who have heard and heeded the call of James 127. Here's your host, Sandra Flack. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That is John 1335. Welcome to Orphans No More, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children in crisis through adoption, foster care, and kinship care. I am your host, fellow adoptive mom on this journey with you, Sandra Flack. Uh, This episode is the second in our foster care focus series for the month of May, which is National Foster Care Month, and we have another amazing guest with us today. But first, I'd like to remind you again that we are changing the name of this podcast as of June 1st, 2022. Orphans No More will drop in your inbox as the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. As I mentioned back in episode 320, we started as a radio program seven years ago. Uh, We've been a podcast for over three years now. uh, and, And through that time, we've really come to understand who our intentional listeners are. And they are folks like you, adoptive, foster and kinship caregivers, parents, Uh, and you're tuning in, and we want to make sure that other adoptive and foster parents know how to find us or can find us easily. So like I said, as of June 1st, 2022, uh, we will be appearing as the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. Same host, yours truly, same content, same mission. We are here to serve you and encourage you and equip you on this journey, uh, but a new name, If you are already a subscriber, you won't have to do anything. You'll just notice the name change. If you're not yet a subscriber, please go ahead and subscribe today. You don't have to wait until June 1st because it'll automatically change over. Uh, You'll just notice the name difference. Uh, And when listeners subscribe and when you leave a review, if you found this podcast helpful, an episode and uh, something that you can really Um, uh, relate to and you want to continue to listen, leave us a review. Subscriptions and reviews signal to the algorithm that this show is relevant. It's important. People are listening uh, and we want others to be able to find it as well. So we believe it's a vital resource for the journey. This is the podcast I wish I had back in the day. Of course, back in the day when I adopted, uh, we didn't, I don't even think podcasts were invented, right? I've been doing, uh, my husband and I have been uh, adoptive parents for uh, 22 years. So I guess in the olden days, they didn't have podcasts yet. At least I didn't know about them. Uh, But if we had this vital resource along our journey in the early days, it would have, I believe, helped us to be much more successful. So if you find that this show is an encouragement to you, I love hearing from listeners. Um, I want to know. I I read every email that comes in, whether it comes in um, through my email or through our our website. Uh, I I read them. I respond to them personally. 
Uh, sometimes I reach out and we connect and, and have a Zoom call and get to know one another that way. Uh, so please, if you would like to connect with me, you can reach me directly. My email is Sandra Flack with a C-H, J-F-O at gmail.com. Uh, or you can just very easily go through our ministry website, justicefororphansny.org. And I'll you can contact us through the website and I will get your information, your email that way. And also stay tuned to the end of this podcast episode for some announcements, some upcoming resources that we're offering. We want to let you know about, uh, but now to our guest, I am super excited to have Tori Hope Peterson. Tori is a former foster youth a foster mom. She holds the title of Mrs. Universe 2021. I'm going to ask her about that. And her memoir, Fostered, One Woman's Powerful Story to Finding Faith and Family Through Foster Care, releases this August. We're going to talk about it. Please welcome Tori Hope Peterson. Hey, Tori. Hey, thanks for having me today. Well, I am thrilled that you're on the show. Um, you and your husband, Jacob, have two biological children, uh, a, a young adult son uh, that you adopted. So I can't wait to hear more about that. Your foster parents, incredible story. But your story actually starts many years ago when you yourself were in the foster care system. So would you tell us that part of your journey? Yeah. Um, so I first went into the foster care system when I was three or four, I was taken from my mom's home um, because there was a drug bust and the SWAT team or a bunch of men in uniform, you know, just busted through our door and they took me. There was a nice woman who took me to the backyard and she said, we're going to go somewhere for some time and spent some months in the foster care system. I don't really know how long. And then I was reunified with my mom. And I lived with her until I was an adolescent and my mom birthed my sister who is about 10 years younger than me. And when I was an adolescent, I went into the foster care system with my sister for the second time. And after our first home together, very sadly, the hardest thing I ever went through in the system, me and my sister were separated. Mm. Um, and I moved throughout many different homes until I emancipated the day I turned 18. Wow. So you emancipated at 18. Yes. And I chose to emancipate. So, you know, there's that myth that youth in foster care get kicked out the day they turned 18. And just to educate people who might not know, that's really not the truth anymore. Most states have extended foster care. Um, some states till they're 21 and some states until kids are 26. Um, kids can receive financial benefits, stipends when they come out of the foster care system, but many kids choose not to use that as I didn't. Um, there also wasn't as many resources for me in extended foster care as there are now. Um, you know, I came out of the foster care system. I think it was like eight years ago now. Um, yeah, it was eight years ago and there wasn't as many resources, but I chose not to stay in because I just felt so burned by the system. I'm very hurt by the system and didn't really want to have much involvement in it anymore. And that's still, even though there are more resources, 
for youth today than there was for me, that's definitely still the case. Yeah, I can only imagine. So 18, you emancipated. Um, did you, I, I thought adoption was part of your story. So did you get adopted? What happened? Clarify, like bring us, bring that part together. Yeah, sure. So I uh, had a track coach who started mentoring me, taking me in when I was a sophomore. Um, and he was just a good guy. And I remember, you know, I came to the school and I know now, you know, I didn't know then, but he told me that people were like, yeah, she's good at track, but she's a troublemaker. And he said, yeah, she's not a troublemaker. She's just a girl who needs a little bit of hope. And he just poured into me from the very beginning. Um, he, you know, would introduce me to his family, his daughters, and just tried to include me in on those little things that he could, you know, as a man and as a track coach, trying to be appropriate, but also trying to pour into me. Um, and between my junior and senior year, we were practicing every day together. And he said, Tori, I think that you can go on and win the state track meet. And I had never even been to the state track meet individually. So that was kind of a crazy thing to hear. Um, but I think with this, this idea, I started to understand who God said, said I was. It aligned with who my track coach said I was. And then training every day alongside of him. I think that, you know, my brain healed, my body healed. Um, and I was just building this really strong relationship with my track coach and emancipated when I turned 18, he was driving me to and from track practice. Cause when you're in the foster care system in most States, you cannot get your foster, you cannot get your driver's license. Um, and so I, I didn't have my driver's license still when I turned 18. And then I was going, um, you know, through the, through the process to get it, which was taking a bit, um, on top of school and track practice. And so he was driving me home from track practice one day and he just said, you know, I, I talked to my daughters about it. I talked to my family and we would like to welcome you, um, as a part of our family. And we'd like you to come live with us, um, after the track season. And you wanted to wait till after the track season, of course, to keep legalities, technicalities with the school, respect his boss and everything. And um, when he said that, I just kind of shrugged it off. And I was like, yeah, I've heard that before. You know, when you're in the system, a lot of people feel bad for you and you hear a lot like if you need anything, just call me up. But then like when the time comes, like no one's really there for you. Um, but my track coach, he did stick by my side. Um and our story is really amazing. I became a five-time state champion that year. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, it was all glory to God. I mean, it really was this miracle. And I remember praying when I was coming to know the Lord in this process. And me coming to know the Lord was not like in a moment. It was really slow. There was a lot of thought, um, a lot of hard work. And I remember praying. And I just started praying this prayer every night. And I said, God, if you allow me to win state, I'm going to give you all the glory. I had no idea what that meant, but I, I heard it at church. Like we give God the glory. And I was really trying to bargain with God. Like, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Yeah. Um, but really, I look back at it and like, that's what my little childish heart, you know, immature faith looked at it that way then. But I look at it now and it really, 
it really was. Oh God. It was just a miracle that that happened. Um, and then that day, um, I moved into my track, my track coach's house and he's the man I call dad. And he has him and his family have just loved me so well, despite the trials we've been through. And he walked me down the aisle. I always, I never thought that I would have someone walk me down the aisle, Um, walk me down the aisle at my wedding. He's a grandpa to my children. So yes. Yeah. He's amazing. And I was eventually adopted in two ways. I was adopted um, by him, but before that I was adopted by God. Um, And he let me know that I was his. And I think when I let go of that idea, just I was able to have these open hands and say, God, I don't need an earthly father. I don't need to be adopted. That's not what's going to solve my problems because God, God adopted me and I was God's father. I was, God was my father and I was his child first. And I think when I released, you know, I was able to release that God gave me above and beyond what I I could even imagine. And even though not everyone's situation is so like dramatic, like a a father, I think that that's so much of what God does. When we just let go of what, what we want so bad, God gives to us abundantly. Mm. I'm clinging to your words. And I can only imagine that our listeners, you know, moms who are, we have kids uh, that have come through adoption, who have come through foster care. And so many of them struggle um, to find faith or come to the Lord and to hear you um, saying those words that God is your father and, and you give him all the glory. Um, it gives us hope, I'm sure. So I'm, I'm just so inspired by you and, and your track coach dad um, makes me think of, and, and maybe you're familiar with, I, I heard, I think the name is Josh Ship, um, Joshua Ship. Yeah, I heard him speak at a, an adoption conference once, and he was also a former foster youth, um, and now he's a motivational speaker. And I remember him saying, and the whole crowd was like, yes. Um, he said, every kid is just one caring adult away from success. And your track coach who became your adoptive dad was that caring adult that made a difference in your life? We know it was God, right? We know God, the father, like you acknowledged, but you know, the investment that your track coach made um, also um, I think probably had, you know, an impact on the trajectory of your journey. So how inspiring yeah. and just so grateful for mm-hmm. even what he did. So, so you mentioned, so at what point in your journey, like you said, you mentioned you were going to church, Um, How did your faith come about? How did you give your life to Christ? Yeah, well, I would actually disagree with the statement that it takes like that one person. Um, I think that it takes an entire community. And so I I would say that that's really how my faith journey started is that it was, um, I think that sometimes we expect like this one person to come in and like save this child. And when this one person, if there's one person investing, because we hear that a lot, we're like, well, what's happening with this kid? Like, why aren't they, why aren't they growing? Um, but I think it really takes a community and it takes a lot of time and investment. And so I would really say the Lord was working in my heart, um, through community, through people investing in me. I mean, as early as like 12. Um, that's probably when I can really start to look back and see the Lord working. So I started dating this guy 
you know, at 12. And his mom was like, you can date my son, but only if I can pick you up for church every Wednesday. And wow. yeah, and I was 12 and she was like, okay, we can do this, but you're going to church. And um, so I started going to church. Um, and then through that, I met um, my mother figure, who is my mentor and my minister till this day. Her name is Tanya. And she started this small group at her house. And I went, you know, every week and she, I remember we were like doing a craft and I looked at her and I was like, why are we doing this craft? Like, why aren't we doing a Bible study? This is a small group. And she said, well, sometimes you don't have to, you have to, you don't have to always tell people about Jesus. You have to show people Jesus. You just have to show them what Jesus is like. And, you know, of course that went over my head. Like I had no idea what in the world she was talking about, but now I look back and it was like, Whoa, like God put so many people in my life to show me his love. Um, and then one more story of, cause it was really so many people, but I was in my 11th foster home and they proclaimed the name of the Lord. And, um, again, I was like really drawing towards his heart. Very, I, I profess that I was an atheist and this is what I want foster parents not to be discouraged because I was literally like, I'm an atheist. There's no way God is real. Like I, all these kids go through all this suffering, like there can't be a good God. But at the same time, I was like, I was praying at night. I was like really curious about who he was. I would open this Bible that Tanya gave me when I was like 12. Um, and, but no one knew that. No, and mm-hmm. it was just in my heart secret, but, but what the world didn't know was that I was a quote unquote atheist. Um, so I, um, I was at my 11th foster home. They proclaimed the name of the Lord and it was very confusing to me because they did abuse their adopted children. And so I was learning about this very loving God, but then seeing people not reflect him, which we all do at times, but to me, this appeared like to be such a big dramatic thing. Like they appeared, they proclaimed him so loudly, had a great reputation in our town, but then behind closed doors were like so dramatically not like him. And it was very like, I was like, I don't get this. And then I went to my 12th foster home um, and the mom proclaimed the name of the Lord, took me to church every Sunday, just like those other foster parents were doing. But she was just so sacrificial. And when I think of, you know, Jesus, that is his, that is a characteristic of Jesus. Um, he gave himself, he gave everything. And, um, she was so sacrificial. She never complained about the stipend or the money that she didn't get or did get. And she made sure that I had everything that I needed. I would say that I was pretty high maintenance as a foster youth because of my track career. My track career was very important to me. I did have a good academic career, which put me in certain clubs that I was very active in. And she had to drive me to those because again, I didn't have my license. And um, one of the rules was when I was doing individual practice outside of the track season, it was just one-on-one practice. She would have to stay there the whole time. And she would do that. She would stay at these practices for like three hours. And she was not an active lady. Like she did not care about sports, but she cared Mm -hmm. about them because she cared about me. She started to love them because she loved me. And I was like, oh, this is what Jesus's love is like. 
Like Mm -hmm. he shows up for us. He loves us immensely. And because I really think it was because of her love and Tanya's love and my track coach's love, like just being there steadily and me being able to see it, I began to understand what it was to be adopted as a daughter and to be loved by God. Mm, I love that. I love that. And I just, you give us hope. Like I said, like I said, Tori, I think you give a lot of listeners hope for our kids, even when uh, the days are dark. And, and like you said, you were a self-proclaimed atheist, but yet, you know, behind closed doors, you were seeking and searching and checking out that Bible and you were watching people and making sure that you could see, you know, their, their walk is not matching the talk. Right. And it is also a testament that we need good foster parents. And I would say when it comes to a foster youth's faith and adoptee's faith, I think that is so many of us are so justice oriented because we have been so hurt um, Mm -hmm. by systems that proclaim justice. And so I think for us, for so many of us, when it comes to the faith talk, it's so important that, can you hear that? Your little one, it's totally fine. Okay. (laughs) It's bothering me. It's bothering you. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Can you bother you can cut this out, right? I'm going to call my husband real quick. Okay. I'll stop. It's it's bothering me a lot. (laughs) I think for foster youth and adoptees, we have seen so much injustice and like with systems that proclaim justice. Mm -hmm. And so I think for us, it is just so important when it comes to faith that we see people walk out what they're preaching. And I, I do believe that the number one reason, especially young people are walking away from the faith and that are proclaiming atheism is because the church proclaims Jesus, but fails to look like him in some really big ways, because we know, we know that we're all fallen and that we do not proclaim him in in ways too. But I think in those really big ways, where that we're searching for the love of Jesus and people aren't reflecting it. I think it's really, really hard for young people. And so I would just encourage foster parents, adoptive parents. Um, one of the things that I love about being a adoptive parent and having young people live with us because we've had other young people live with us for internship programs. And I just love about being a mom is that it, I really do believe that it makes you more like Jesus because you want to, you can't just tell, we know that we can't just tell our kids to do something. We have to show them. Um, we have to reflect it for them to walk it out. So, um, I would just really encourage foster parents and adoptive parents to take inventory and to reflect like in what ways, um, could I not be reflecting Jesus to my children and just ask them, like have the open conversation. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's inspiring. It's wisdom and powerful what you're saying. And I'm so grateful for your voice on this. Um, So I know that you and your husband, Jacob, well, you got married obviously. Right. And and then, and I know you have two littles, uh, two little ones, but you also became foster parents and um, you've adopted an older um, 
he's a young man, right? From the, from the pictures and stuff. So tell us about that. Why did you guys decide to become foster parents? You know, I just wanted to answer the call. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I feel like is what God, uh, you know, calls us to, I wanted to see if we could put our hand at it. I mean, that's really, <laughs> that's really it. And, um, I think that everyone should give it a try if they can. And (laughs) I really do. I think that in the church, we say, we use this, you know, excuse, oh, I'm not called to that. Hmm. And um, I don't really know if we believe what we're called to until we do it, until we give it a try. And, um, you know, if not a foster parent, be a respite care provider, you know, give your weekend to babysitting a kid. Yeah. Um, Because... I think that when we open our lives up to people who are different than us, um, to just a different part of this world that sometimes we forget about, we draw, we just draw closer to God. Um, we come to know him more and that's really what life is, is all about. Um, but yeah, we did it just because we wanted to answer the call. Yeah. You knew the need, right? You knew the need and, um, and answering the call. And we're all called to something in this space. We just have to find out what that something is. Like you said, it could be respite. It could be fostering. There's a lot of different ways that families could get involved. Yeah. Um, how many kids have you guys fostered so far? Uh, we've only fostered four. So we had a sibling group of three and then we had a six month old at one point. Wow. Cause you're a young couple. So it's, it's not like you're, you know, 60 and been doing that forever. <laughs> so I'm yeah. sure the numbers yeah. will. And, and right now we, we are taking a break cause we are in the process of moving. Um, and I will be a, um, sister mom soon. I'm going to be a mom through guardianship kinship. <laughs> oh. Um, so um, that's where we're moving. Um, that's where we're headed right now. And so just waiting to see what the Lord, um, does with that as my sister moves in with us, um, and spends at least her last two years of high school with us. Wow. And, and that's the sister who you were, were you 10 when she was born? Oh uh, yeah. So I was like nine and eight months. Um, yeah. Yeah. and yeah, we were separated and then we've just been kind of rebuilding our relationship more and more this past year. And, um, she actually came and visited me over her spring break and we just felt, so we were already talking about moving for months. Like we knew that God had kind of planted that in our heart and we, I had a speaking engagement, um, in a way different part of the United States than what we're moving. But I was like, I think that's where we're supposed to go because we really liked it. We liked the church that we that I spoke at. Um, we enjoyed our time there. It was a beautiful city. And um, so we just started kind of moving towards these, this idea of moving. And we put our house on the market. We knew God was calling us to somewhere else. And then when my sister came and visited us over spring break, it was just so clear to us. We were like, we are meant to be close to her. Um, and we are going to move to the town that she's at because she doesn't want to move because she wants to be in the same school. And I get that. I wanted to stay in the yeah. same school. And if there's anything, anything my case workers did right, it was keeping me in the same school for three years. 
um, despite all my moves, they really worked hard to keep me in the same school. And so I want, I want to honor that for my sister. I want to keep her where she's getting a good education and good grades. And so we're picking everything up and we're moving to her to invest in her and just love her the best that we can, the best way that we know how, um, for at least the next two years. That is wonderful. I love and she's going to move. And then, you know, we were like, we're just moving there, you know, no obligation to, move in with us. It's whatever you want. We just want to be there for you. And she was like, Oh, I'm moving in with you. So (laughs) we're like, okay. Like, (laughs) yeah. Wow. Incredible part of your story. You also have explained because you have an adopted young adult son, right? So how did that come about? What can you tell us about that part of the story? Yeah. So he did not come to us through the foster care system. Um, He lived about two hours away from us and I was working for a nonprofit that worked with um, young adults and um, like in college and someone reached out to me and said, there's this lady, she's been going to the grocery store and there's this young man and he's um, living in the public bathroom at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And we know that you guys are foster parents and we were wondering if you would be interested in him living with you. Um, And we were just like, we prayed about it. And we really felt God saying like, yes, we're like, this is crazy. Like we don't even know this kid. Um, (laughs) If we say yes, you know, that means he's here. We're not going to go, we're not going to kick him out, you know? And like, it's not like we meet him and then we go, oh, I don't like you. You you have to go. It's like, no, if it's, if it's a yes now, before we meet him, it's going to be a yes moving forward, unless he says it's a no. Um, And he came, the, the lady who kept finding him in the bathroom um, dro- said, I'm going to drive you to this family who, um, who takes people in and cares for them. And she drove him to us. Um, and we just knew when we met him, you know, that he was meant to be a part of our family in some capacity. And we didn't know if that was adoption because we didn't know if that's what he wanted. And he was old enough to make that decision for himself. Um, but then he, after a few months, he just continued to ask us, you know, what do you think about adopting me? And He's like, I want to be a P I want to be a Peterson. Um, <laughs> and we were like, you know, whatever you want, bud, we love you. You're ours. You know what? And if, if it's the last name that you want, we're all about it. So. Incredible. So you're just investing into the lives of young people. I love that. Um, love what you're doing. And as a parent, I'm a parent of two teenagers um, diagnosed with a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. There's a high rate of FASD among children in the foster care system. I know you currently live in Minnesota. Um, and I've, from my understanding, Minnesota is pretty far ahead of the game when it comes to equipping and training foster parents um, when it comes to FASD compared to other states in the country. So have you, did you get that kind of training FASD? Are you familiar with it? What, what, what can you tell us about your experience with that? Yeah. So here's the interesting thing. I would say Minnesota is pretty ahead of the curve and the curve and a lot of the things, but you know, foster care is counting to county you know, it's not the statewide thing. And that's the really weird thing about foster care because people will ask me questions about it all the time. And my answer is always like, well, it depends on your County. And it's such a bad answer, but it's like true, you know? So you're going to be really surprised, but we, um, we received barely any training. Um, the only training, like training period, like the only training that, um, we received, in person where we had to like 
be there and do something um, was our car seat training. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's amazing because I've been under this impression that, because I've, I've heard uh, other speakers from Minnesota talk about that. That's now that now in Minnesota, it's part of the foster care training and every child coming into foster care has to be screened for an FASD. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, not that I know of, I, we live in a very rural community and I just don't think that our, um, our foster care place has, um, they're not on top resources. Um, they're very behind and like TBRI. I always say, if you come from a place like that, you know, it's most important to be informed of like their policies and regulations that aren't like super apparent. Um, and then when it comes to like trauma training and the stuff that like really matters, like the deep heart work, the deep soul work, um, follow people on Instagram, do not underestimate the power of social media. Social media gets such a bad reputation, but the foster care community on social media is so rich and so wholesome and so good. And we're just all educating one another and we're there for one another. Um, so yeah, I, I, I learned so much from being on social media yeah. and I have There's like, a lot. no shame about it. Yeah, there's a lot of really good trauma informed and 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 FASD uh, groups and um, and folks to follow on social media. Um, yes. You know, there is a, there's even on Facebook there's a, a FASD caregivers group, and so there's always like if you you know every day you could run into like a new thing, and then if you go to the group they're talking about it, right? So you can get yeah. you know just some encouragement, and even if it's like, yep, we know there's no answers to that, but we know you know you're not in it alone, kind of thing. So it's so important. I know I'm in New York. So foster care is county by county here also, but um, the state oversees it. So the training for foster parents is actually state, um, you know, the state has, supplies that. So each county has to use the state curriculum, so to speak, to train foster parents. And I inquired at the state level and there's no FASD training at the state level in the state, you know, curriculum for foster parents to become certified. However, because it's 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 taught or doled out by county, counties can add like they could add FASD stuff. They can't take away from the county train or the state, you know, the state mandated training, but they can add stuff to it. But if they don't understand or know even about it, how do they how do they add that? So that's one of the things we're doing. My nonprofit is doing here in the state is trying to provide that awareness and training because it's such it's such a vital part of the journey. Yeah. along with trauma that that really needs to be there. So, mm. um, so yeah, thanks for chatting with me about that. Um, do you think that, and I'm sure, I'm sure the answer is yes, but maybe I should ask, how has your experience having been in foster care as a kid, how has that equipped you to be a foster parent? You know, I think that, um, one of one thing that is really different about our family is that we have a lot of empathy for birth parents. Um, we do not criminalize them. Um, we do not see them as like 
just like these bad people who hate their kids because that's not it. That's not who they are. They usually love their kids very deeply. They're usually doing all that they know how that's in their capacity, that's in their understanding that they can do um, and to, to work to get their kids um, and to work to like live a better life. And I think that we really do see I, I think that we see birth parents that way. And for our foster sibling group of three, they moved to another home, but we still continue to invest um, in their birth mom and the, at the foster home they're at now, like the foster mom doesn't even talk to their birth mom. That's just really sad to me um, because I really believe if we work, you know, together, we can really do some powerful, beautiful work um, for kids and for families, because this young mom, she, her mom, um, lived in, you know, just a very underserved background. Um, she was homeless when she was a kid and then her daughter was homeless and now she was homeless with her kids, right? It's generational trauma that has to be addressed. And if you don't have a family to address it, who's going to do it? And, you know, I think we look at that as Christians, we look at that scripture, the orphan and the widow. And we, as, as people who love foster care and adoption, we, we say the orphan, the orphan, we're going to adopt, we're going to foster. But like, it says orphan and widow, like it doesn't say orphan in one scripture and widow in the other, like it is together. And I think that we just we just dismiss this like widow part. That's right there. What is the modern day widow? It is that single mom that is doing everything she can to get her kids back that are, that is like learning. And I think to the outside world that people would look at this mom and say, Oh, she's not doing anything. But the reality is she is learning so, so much. She went to go visit her kids um, when they were living with us. And she brought them like hot Cheetos, candy, pop, And I told her, I said, you know, they're going to write down your caseworkers are going to write down everything that you do when you visit your kids. And what they're going to write down today is that you brought your kids unhealthy food. And she looked at me and she said, what do you mean unhealthy food? Mm. And I was like, this is not this. And I have to explain. And she said, well, what's healthy food? And I said, fruit, vegetables. She said, that's not fun. I said, well, you can do fruit snacks for your kids. And I took her to the grocery store and I showed her like these granola bars. Like I'm like, they have little chocolate chips in them, but they're healthier than this candy. And, um, that, that just really kind of like, like I knew it because I did it, but it really like just solidified in me that these these parents need someone who is willing to teach them. And I can only do that because people walked with me and were willing to teach me. And so I think that it just gives us, um, I think my time in foster care gives us just this extended empathy. I do. I do. I really do believe that foster youth and adoptees, have maybe this is might be prideful to say, but we have a big capacity to love mm. because we have to love our birth families. We have to love our foster families. We have to love our adopted families. We don't have to, but we do, you know, we, we are so compelled to love all these people who have taken good care of us. And that's why it always blows my mind when like, um, adoptive parents are like, they're kind of intimidated by their kids loving their birth families, because it's just natural to us. We have huge capacities to love. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I think really that's, 
and of course it's because the Lord is in me. It is not my love, but God's love in me. But I, I do believe that that's, it's really so much um, of how he built me through the foster care system. Yeah. You are such a wealth of wisdom. I know because you alluded to James 127 when it comes to caring for orphans and widows. And, you know, at that time that that scripture was written, orphans and widows were the most vulnerable, right? And in, in this day and age, the most vulnerable are our children in foster care and they're and the single birth mom, you know, or even the grandma trying to raise the grandchildren, you know, and, and oftentimes people I've, I've heard people, their excuse for not doing foster care is, well, I would get attached and then the kid would have to go back. And, you know, again, the birth parent looks like the bad guy, you know, all the time. So yeah, people I can't know, see me, people can't see me, but I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> You're rolling your eyes. So it, and, and it's that kind of thing. It's like, wait a minute, if you're really a believer and walking with the Lord, then the birth family is part of this ministry that you're called to, you know? And I know that the, my, my interview last week with Jelana Goble, who's also um, a foster and adoptive mom, um, she also has released a book because um, we're going to talk about your book shortly, but she, she kind of chronicles her journey with a birth mom um, who she ended up adopting. She, she still to this day has a close relationship. They speak to other, um, you know, mm. to foster parents. She has this close relationship with, with the birth mom and um, Jelana and her husband did adopt the little boy that they were uh, um, fostering. But then the birth mom eventually had another little boy, which they did foster for a short time, but they were, you know, they were rooting for her and supporting her and cheering her on. So she actually has, you know, birth mom has custody of, of baby boy number two, Jelana and her husband have custody and adopted baby boy number one. And Look they at this. Together. I love yeah. it. And that yeah. is the thing. Like that is the thing when foster parents actually invest in birth parents, if adoption is God's plan, it is going to happen so much faster. Foster parents and adoptive parents always complain about how long the process is. If you just invested in the birth parent, they would be able to make a faster decision, but because they can't see that you are a good person willing to invest in people who don't look as good as you, or who don't live the same life as you, they're going to be skeptical and they're not just going to release their children with open hands to you. I really do believe that one of the biggest problems in the system is that we don't invest in birth parents. And then if the problem is, if if the solution is reunification, if God's plan is reunification, then that's going to happen faster too. And so, yeah, I really do believe one of the biggest solutions we can all invest in, in the system is birth parents, actually investing in them and not being so quick to just say they're unsafe without actually trying to to invest in them. Yeah. And I'll, I'll even give a quick shout out to one of the things our nonprofit does here in New York is care portal. I don't know if you've heard of care portal, but I have, I have. Yeah. So we're connecting, we're, we're about to launch our launch our fourth, fourth County here in New York that our nonprofit leads. And so many of the requests that the County agencies put into our system that the churches are meeting are, for the purpose of preventing kids from coming into care. Cause so often it's just that, you know, whether it's the birth mom or it's, you know, the whole, the family 
um, grandma has custody, whatever the scenario is, if they could just have some supports and some relationship and not feel isolated and the local church can wrap around that birth family and stabilize the situation. So kids can either a stay home with their birth family or B be reunified sooner, right? Because mom was able to furnish a new apartment and get the bunk beds that she needs for her kids to sleep in. And so we're seeing a huge number of requests really that are preventative in nature. And that's what's in the best interest of the kids. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's got to be stabilizing and strengthening and encouraging birth families. So I love that. I'm so excited about our conversation. (laughs) Um, I I also want to learn about you established a nonprofit called, um, do you say beloved or beloved initiative? Tell us about that. Yeah. So the beloved initiative is really, we just pour into people who have, have less than. So um, but it's, we pour into them because we want them to know the love of Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. we, we really want to, we believe, um, that people will know us by our love for one another. People will know we are disciples of Jesus by our yeah. love for one another. And when we do crazy radical things for people, when we go out of our way, they're going to be like, why, why are you doing this? What are you doing? What's the point of all of this for you? And I want people to ask that question. I want the only answer to be Jesus. So people will come to know him because he is the healing balm to everything. I am where I am. I have healed so much, not completely, um, but healed so much because I understand the love that Jesus has for me. And I want other people who have less than, who have been through such hard things, who don't have a family to understand Jesus' love. And so huge victory that, um, we just had this past weekend that I would love to share. So we've been invested in this birth mom and we just been loving her. We drive her a lot of places. And through that, we get to have a lot of amazing conversation and we just continue to encourage her as she's trying to work towards getting her children back. And we don't know if that's, what's going to happen, but it doesn't matter because that's not the end. all be all the end. all be all is that she knows that she has a savior who saves her and loves her and holds her no matter if she gets her kids back or she doesn't. And so we've just been pouring into her in, um, this past weekend, she chose to be baptized, chose to give her life to Christ, um, and be baptized. And so our church, our pastor at our church and me and Jacob got to baptize her all together in front of our church. And it was just so, so beautiful. And all the glory goes, goes to God. I love that. You're doing such amazing work. And, and, uh, you know, Tori, you're beautiful inside and out. So I have to ask this question about Mrs. Universe 2021. <laughs> How did that come about? Tell us about that. You know, someone from our chamber of commerce, um, they were, they just kind of like mentioned, we would like to have someone represent our town in a pageant, um, to walk in the parade, the 4th of July parade, which I literally didn't even end up doing, but, um, (laughs) um, and I was just like, Oh, I don't do pageants. That's superficial. Um, the pageants are a lot of money. And I think, you know, money can be, I'm like, money needs to be going towards people who are starving and who are trying to get their lives back together. Like, people don't invest enough. You just, that justice oriented side of me just came pouring out. And I was just like, no. Um, and then 
you know, I'd lay my head down at night on my pillow and I was like, you know, a pageant sounds really fun. (laughs) Um, We were fostering that sibling group of three at the time. So we had um, five kids, three and under, and we were potty training um, four out of the five. And it was a challenge. It was crazy. It was the craziest thing I've ever done. And at the same time, we're investing in this birth mom. We have our adoptive son who we are moving towards the adoption process. And I was like, I mean, I was just run ragged in my home. I was wearing sweatpants every day, you know, the messy mom bun. And I was like, I'm ugly. I don't like you just feel, you feel, you know, I know that I'm not, but I feel that way. And then every day when I kept laying my head on my pillow, I was like, man, like Mrs. Universe sounds like really fun. Like that sounds, <laughs> sounds kind of cool. And, in my life. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you know what? Let's just try for the Mrs. Minnesota. Like, let's just try for it. Um, and then I got that. And then I went to go do the Mrs. Universe pageant and I hired a coach and she said, she said, you could win this. Um, and I, but I, she's like, but you have to be coachable. And I am, I'm, I'm a very coachable person. I'm a very teachable person because I know that that's a characteristic of a successful person because that's what (laughs) made me successful. (laughs) One of the very, one of the reasons. And, um, so I just let her coach me through it and here I am. (laughs) Wow. Mrs. Universe 2021. Wow. Were you able to use that platform to, to speak about foster care or anything like that? Yeah. So, um, you get an interview, it's a seven minute interview, and then you have an onstage question. So in my onstage question and in my interview, um, I was not shy about my faith and I was not shy about my story. Um, I really felt like, you know, if God was going to give me the opportunity again, I was going to glorify him through it. Um, I was going to talk about him and my faith and what he had done in my life through the system, through living with my mom, through my track coach. Um, so yeah. Wow. Fun, fun for sure. So let's talk about your book. Uh, it's releasing in August. The title of the book is fostered one woman's powerful story of finding faith and family through foster care. I just pre-ordered my copy. I cannot wait to read it. Um, what led you Tori to write this book? Well, I always knew there's kind of like one thing that I've kind of always known since I've been saved that I'm meant to do. Um, And that's tell the story. I was, I was really poured into again, as a young person by community, I've always been a writer and a communicator. I didn't know it. Um, I was just writing on Facebook. You know, you write your little blurbs on Facebook and people are like, people in my church were always like, Tori, you gotta, you gotta write a book. You gotta start a blog. You are, you are so gifted. You need to like go write blogs for people like writing, communicating is your gift. And my pastor, when I was like 16, I don't even think he knew if I was saved or not, um, would, would ask me to come speak and share my story about foster care. My church that I grew up in really cared about the orphan and the widow really had a heart for foster care. Um, and they, they didn't care. Like if I was this polished, um, amazing speaker who knew how to communicate, they just believed that I was really anointed by God and gave me the microphone. And, um, I, again, I didn't know what they were doing then, but I look back as I'm older and I'm like, Oh wow, God was always doing something in my life by putting these people in in place. And so I would, I would just continue to write and continue to communicate. And after I was saved, I kind of knew I went on a missions trip 
blogged, probably did like a, probably like a 2000 word blog every day on my mission trip um, at the end of it. And that's when people were, people were really kind of coming and being like, whoa, like you have to, like, you have to write a book. Um, because I would parallel like, um, my time in the foster care system, um, with like the orphanage that I was working at, um, on my mission trip in Ethiopia and people were just like, you have to write a book. Um, and I would always bring, you know, what is the heart of Jesus? I I try and keep that at the center. And so, yeah, really from the time I was saved, I was like, I know that my, um, what God has called me to is to tell the story to not tell the story would be wasting all that God has brought me out of. And Mm -hmm. I do think that, you know, part of it is probably a coping mechanism. How do I rationalize all this terrible stuff that happened to me and my sister, if I don't tell the story for God's glory? Um, So yeah, that's, that's, that's what, has encouraged me. And, um, when it was really hard to write, that's what kept me going. That's what helped me finish it. Wow. I love that. And now it it releases in August, correct? Yes. August 30th. And please, I am shameless. I'm going to say it, please pre-order it. Pre-orders are really um, important, especially for first-time authors. I'm a first-time author and writing is what I would love to do for the rest of my life. And so don't wait until the day. Don't wait until a week or two after it releases. Please pre-order the book. You can do it from Walmart, Target, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, wherever you like to buy your books. You can get it. Awesome. Pre-order it. And we want to give one away. So we're going to also invite our listeners to be able to go to our website, justicefororphansny.org, where they can enter their name to win a book that we will send to them um, because we want to be able to share your story and let others know because it it is incredible. And we'll post a link in the show notes um, for this episode so that listeners know where they can get a copy. Um, Like I said, I pre-ordered. I cannot wait to read it, especially after speaking with you. It's like, I need to read your words. So like, you know, just thrilled to have you on the show because I love your voice and the story that you're telling and your, your faith and your transparency. Um, You know, you're just amazing, amazing woman, Tori. Um, So in fact, you chose the verse I opened with John 13, 35, and you basically even quoted it a little while ago in one of your answers, but what does that verse mean to you? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you show love one to another. You know, foster, foster care really has formed me. It is such a huge part of my identity. And, um, and then God, God is who God says I am is a huge part of my identity and God has healed me. He has healed me. Um, I was just so hurt in the foster care system coming out and that hurts still there, but he has just been the balm. And I want other people to experience that healing power. I want people to know that they're loved, like Mm -hmm. at the very core, because when you don't know that, like when I didn't know that it was like the worst thing. And I really do believe I know that. Because I saw other people like Jesus in other people. I saw his love lived out and poured out 
to me through mm-hmm. other people. And so I just, I feel like I have God's love in me and I want to pour that out to other people. So they ask that question, why, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And I can say, God, because God loves you so much and his love is in me. And it's just pouring out to you. It has nothing to do with me. It really has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with who God says you are and who he is. He loves you. I just want people to know that um, because, because it's the answer to all of our confusion. It's the healing to all of our hurt. Um, and I, I think about that scripture in Luke 10. It's a good Samaritan scripture. And I think it's a Pharisee. I think, I think it's a Pharisee who goes to Jesus and he says, how do I receive eternal life? And Jesus' answer is you love God um, and you love people with all your heart, mind, and soul. Um, and he says, how do you get eternal life? And that is just his answer. And then the Pharisee says, well, what, what does that mean? And then he tells the story of the good Samaritan, how people kept walking by the, mm-hmm. the man who was hurt and bruised and bleeding um, because they were like, because in their culture, they weren't supposed to talk to that person. And when I think about my track coach, and when I think about the people who poured into me, people told them to stay away from me. People said that girl is trouble. She is crazy. She has burned bridges, but they did not keep walking by. They saw me hurting. They saw me bleeding and they were the good Samaritans who stopped and wrapped me up in their love and said, you are coming with me. And Mm -hmm. I, I want to be that. And it's not just for, it, it is, of course, I want, I want eternal life. I want to experience God for the rest of my life, but I want everyone else to, too. Um, and that's how, that's how, that's how people will see him by his love in us. Yes. Amen. Amen. You preached the message. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I, 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 we're going to wrap up and I don't even want to, but as we do wrap up, Um, since you're not only a foster parent and you've been on the other side, you've been in the system, what advice, and and you've already really like you, your whole message has been advice and encouragement, but, um, if you could wrap it up into, you know, something that we can end with as, as advice and encouragement for the foster and adoptive parents that are listening, what would you say to them? Um, you know, so I do a one-on-one consulting with foster parents and nonprofits. And one of the biggest things that I am seeing lately is that when, when youth, when kids um, do something, parents like see it as a reflection of them. They see it as a reflection of their parenting. um, And I know I've said this a million times and I'm not doing this to like beat a dead horse. I'm just saying it really because it's the solution. What you have to offer your children is not Jesus. What you have, all that you have to give um, until they understand that it is the Holy spirit. It is God. It is Jesus. Then like you aren't, you aren't Jesus. You aren't God. You, 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 can't give them what they need. Only God can. And if they have not received that, that's not a reflection of your parenting. That's not a reflection of who you are. 
it's a reflection of God's perfect plan and perfect timing that you um, need to pray for, that you need to say, not my will, not my timing, but yours be done. I'm going to trust in it, God, because when we have these open hands that say, God, I am letting go. I'm not going to hold on so tightly with these fists. I'm going to have open hands. Then we can receive what God has for us. But when we have these fists, usually we punch with them, not, not physically, maybe not knowingly, but we're, we're throwing punches at God, at our children. And they're, they're discreet. They're not like, we don't know it. And so live, live open-handedly with your, just with your hands wide open saying, God, I trust in what you are doing in my child. And my job is to just trust in you and love them as, as you have called me to love them. But what they're doing and what this journey is, is not, it's not a reflection of you. It's not say, it's not a reflection of me. You are mm-hmm. God's child. What God says about you is a reflection of you. And that's, so steep as much as you want your child to know that you need to know that. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I find to be, you know, as we, as we become trauma informed and FASD informed, you know, not always like, I know, I know with like my, my boys sometimes and in the, in the FASD community, so many um, we see these behaviors, right. And it can look like our kids are being willful, disobedient and rebellious, but really they have a brain difference. Mm-hmm. Their brains have been, you know, altered by prenatal exposure to alcohol. So they're not being those things. Those things are symptoms of the brain difference. So we need to love them first and foremost and accommodate and come alongside and coach and cheer them on for success and find ways where they can be successful. It makes all the difference because, you know, on the outside, somebody will look at our kids and they'll think, oh, they're disobedient. We base everything on that moral, like, you know, they're not behaving, you know, they're lying on purpose, they're stealing food on purpose or whatever it is they're doing. But when you look beyond all of that and look at the why and can understand you know, the brain and, you know, our job is to love, like you said, love, support, accommodate and help them to be successful. It does. It really does make all the difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So you have, you blog, you mentioned that. So do you have a website? Like how can our listeners, cause I know if they're, you know, when they listen, they're going to be like, I need to hear more. I need to hear more from Tori. <laughs> So um, how can we find you? How can we find you online on a website? Where are you at? I do most of my stuff on Instagram. Um, I love the good IG. My handle is Tori Hope Peterson. Peterson is S-E-N, not S-O-N. And my website is the same, Tori Hope Peterson. If you're on TikTok, um, Tori Hope Peterson, it's all the same. Just S-E-N, not S-O-N. Awesome. Well, we're going to include links to your website, your social media in the show notes for this show. um, And also continue to let everybody know about your book. And again, the title of the book is Fostered One Woman's Powerful Story of Finding Faith and Family Through Foster Care. Tori, you are a powerhouse of passion for the Lord and for kids. And I am just honored that you're a guest on my show. I'm going to be telling everybody about you. And I just want to thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your heart and for all that you're doing. 
Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for your patience with my littles in the background, like the whole time. Um, and thank you for just amplifying um, former foster youth, those with lived experience voices. I believe that when we do that, when we um, tell their story, it's the, the kids. I know you talk so much about foster parents being encouraged, which I love and I want to encourage them. Um, but I want, you know, my heart is that foster youth hear this and that they come to understand who they truly are. So thank you for having me. Thank you again for being here. It's been an honor. Wow. That was just, I am just so inspired, almost speechless. Tori is amazing. I'm thrilled that you were able to hear her story as well. I can't wait for her book. We, we chatted um, after we stopped recording for a few minutes and I said, you've got to come to CAFO. Like you are somebody who needs to be on the main stage. And she's like, oh, I am going to be there this year. So I knew it. I knew she would be CAFO caliber. Um, I know that this is an episode that is going to be ranked among my favorites. So um, I'm, I'm thrilled that you were able to listen today. Let your fellow foster and adoptive and kinship parent friends know so that they can hear as well. Um, Even your kids, if your kids are struggling, um, this would be a great episode um, to send your kids to um, your your teenagers, your young adult kids, um, and and even in Tori's Tori's website. So it's Tori Hope Peterson with an E-N at the end of Peterson. We'll put the links in the show notes to everything that we mentioned in the show today so that you can find it. Thank you again for listening to this episode. Um, I am sure you found some encouragement by listening to Tori's story. Um, Check the show notes out. Uh, And if you want to win a free copy of Tori's book when it releases, um, go to justicefororphansny.org and you can sign up to win a free copy. Also, I did want to update you and remind you about some of the FASD resources that we are offering uh, right now. Uh, you could sign up to host uh, or be a part of an FASD 101 training. Um, I'll be offering them when we get a group together. I can do an in-person. We can do, um, or we can do it online. Uh, we just need a group. Uh, it's a three-hour training. I can modify it a bit to make it a little bit shorter, but it's perfect for parents and professionals to really come to understand FASD, the symptoms, and some um I hate the word strategies because it's not like every, every um, you just have to come to an understanding of brain difference and how to parent accordingly. And um, every kid is different uh, and you'll be able to start to figure that out and figure out your kid and what will best work with them. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a training that we're offering and I hope that you will check it out. Um, so go to our website, justicefororphansny.org to do that. Um, now, Also, we have something very special brewing coming up in September that you will want to be a part of. Uh, I've been mentioning that I'm going to be working to collaborate with another FASD adoptive mama. You probably know her, but I'm not going to tell you who it is yet because we're really working this through. We're like in the weeds trying to figure out how this is all going to work, but we want to do a support group, an online monthly support group for you. But the more we've been talking about it and the more we've been praying about it, we're seeing a community of online resources for you that we are going to be putting together. Um, So stay tuned because as it unfolds and as I'm able to give you concrete information about that, 
um, in the future podcasts, we will let you know. Um, so you're not going to want to miss uh, the stuff that we have coming up. September is uh, National FASD Awareness Month. So we're hoping to really, uh, we will definitely be at least releasing or starting the support group uh, in September. Uh, but there's going to be some other things that we're going to be offering as well for you in a community type setting to become a, compute, a community member. So stay tuned for that. Um, I'm, I'm super excited about what, we're, what, what the Lord is really bringing together as we pray and plan. Um, don't forget the upcoming name change. This podcast will begin dropping in your inbox as the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast starting June 1st. Again, if you already subscribe, you don't have to do anything. Just notice the name change. If you haven't subscribed and followed us yet, please do that so that you won't miss an episode. Um, we are grateful that you are listening and with us every day. Uh, we want to hear from you. Make sure that you reach out, uh, out to us by the website or by my email. Um, and also you can check out my family's adoption and kinship journey. Uh, in my book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. So yes, this is a shameless plug. It's available wherever you get books, buy books. But uh, if, and if you order it on Amazon, please, please, please leave a review. If you would like a signed copy, uh, signed by me, popped in the mail by me to you, um, you can order from my website, sandraflack.com. On my website, you'll also be able to learn more about me, read my blog, and contact me for speaking opportunities. Uh, and before we end, I always like to give a shout out to our Care Portal County sponsors, Tri-Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, and the National Bank of Cooksaki. These businesses care about children and families in crisis, and they help us do what we do. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. You can also follow me, Sandra Flack, also Facebook and Instagram. Uh, and again, if you made it all the way to the end and heard all that, I'm grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. And I'm thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to Orphans No More, for sharing what you've heard and praying for vulnerable children everywhere. We hope you are inspired to walk out James 127 in whatever way God calls you. For more information, visit justicefororphansny.org.